This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. One of the important decisions that President-elect Donald Trump will tackle during his early days in the White House is who his nominee for the vacant ninth Supreme Court seat will be. But filling that ninth seat may only be the start of things. With Ruth Bader Ginsburg at age 83 and Stephen Breyer at age 78, Mr. Trump may add as many as three new justices to the highest court. To take a look at what might happen with the court, we are joined by Georgetown University Law Professor Nan Hunter, who's also Associate Dean for Graduate Programs there, and also with us Kermit Roosevelt, Law Professor here at the University of Pennsylvania. He's also the author of the book Allegiance, which looked at the imprisonment of Japanese Americans during World War II. Nan, Kermit, great to have you both with us today. Thanks. Thank you. Happy to be with you. Thank you very much. Nan, is this a day one agenda item for President-elect Donald Trump? I would think so. I mean, I, I you know, obviously uh, do, do not have a line into the heart of the Trump campaign, but I would imagine that he would move quite quickly, if not day one, then quite quickly to nominate someone to uh, fill this vacancy. It's been a, um, a very effective issue for him, um, uh, as it turns out, I think. He released a list of um, possible Supreme Court nominees, an unprecedented step uh, earlier this year. And so I think everyone is probably turning to that list and trying to figure out who is likely to be the one uh, chosen to be nominated. Kermit, how important is this for Mr. Trump in your mind? Well, it's interesting because, you know, I don't think this is something that Trump personally cares about all that much. And if you think about what Trump might gain from the Supreme Court, you know, some people think, can he pack the court with justices who will let him do whatever he wants? And I think that's unlikely. But there is a vacancy now. This is something that the voters cared about. This is a way that Trump can sort of gain credit with more mainstream Republicans. So, you know, I, I do think that he's going to act on it very soon. Obviously, Nam, one of the things that's been discussed uh, in the last few months was the move by Republicans to not even consider any potential nominee by President Obama in, in the run-up to the election. Uh, I guess to a degree, their move to do that plays out because of how the election uh, ultimately uh, was decided. Well, I think I think one has to say that it uh, that it did play out, and um, what disturbed me, frankly, was less that, although that was not exactly uh, an admirable thing to do, but yeah. the comments that we heard in the campaign by several Republican senators and candidates for the Senate that they would be uh, unwilling to consider a nominee. Uh, should Hillary Clinton have been elected, right. that was deeply, deeply distressing um, as a constitutional matter. And um, we have avoided that, for better or worse. Um, but uh, unfortunately, I fear that that kind of um, uh, attitude toward the court has been to some degree normalized. Well, then, in, in your mind, I mean, we've seen various articles out there about uh, Donald Trump and, and his potential list of nominees that he may bring forth. Uh, off of that list, are there one or two that you focus on a, as potentially maybe the leaders uh, leaders in the clubhouse at this point? For myself, no. I mean, I yeah. you know, I have reviewed the list. Uh, they are all, you know, they all have what one would imagine would be the 
sort of requisite, um, you know, credentials to be a nominee to the court. Some of them are more identified with political issues and partisanship uh, ness in an obvious way than others. A number of them have clerked for. Uh, Justices Scalia or Thomas, or mm-hmm. I think in one case, Chief, former Chief Justice Rehnquist. So they are all of um, you know the the cast that one would expect from uh, a Republican president, which is I think they are all um, conservative in their politics without any question. I think whether you know, I mean, I you know, I I agree with what Kermit said. I I don't see that that this issue is of great moment to Trump except for the political uh, value that he right. gets from it. And so I think uh, I would guess that his selection process is going to be driven very heavily by persons other than himself um, and that you know the, the people who uh, were responsible for this list, I would imagine, would be drawn back into the process of selecting the individual who will be the nominee. What do you think that, that that this does, Kermit, to the court itself from a little bit of a historic perspective? Because if you look back at the last few months with only eight justices, uh, a lot of people assumed that we were going to see quite a few 4-4 ties. We didn't necessarily see that uh, much at all, if, if at all, uh, during the, the last few months. Well, we did see some 4-4 ties. I mean, not, right. not during the last month, because I think that the court has actually been managing its docket in order to avoid that. I think right. they've tried to avoid agreeing to hear cases where they foresaw a 4-4 split. Right. So, you know, from an institutional perspective, I think it's nice to have the court back at nine justices, which I think we soon will see. Um, I, I echo the disappointment that was voiced, I think, about the, the fact that the Garland seat, uh, the, the Scalia seat was not filled by Merrick Garland, um, and that that strategy seems really to have paid off. Because, uh, you know, I think it, it is going to normalize this sort of raw partisan approach to Supreme Court nominees, which I, I think is a bad thing for the functioning of our government in general. So whether or not he would have been approved, at least bringing him forward as a nominee should have at least happened in your mind? Well, yeah. I mean, the way that I think about that is the Senate has no duty to approve any particular nominee. Right. But if they don't approve a nominee, it should be because of something about the nominee, right. not something about the president. You know, and the fact that the president is in his last term, in, in the last year of his term, that's something about the president. That's certainly not a principle that has any basis in the Constitution. Um, you know, if you wanted to take seriously what the Republicans were saying at the time, they said, we think the American people should have a voice. One could say, this would go nowhere, of course, but one could say, hey, look, Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. The people have spoken. Now confirm Garland. 844-WHARTON is the number to give us a call. 844-942-7866 with your comments. We're talking about the Supreme Court and the changes we may see uh, once Donald Trump is in office. 844-942-7866. Or if you cannot get to the phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. So then, as I mentioned, Nan, at the top, with the with the age of, uh, of Justice Ginsburg and, and also Justice Breyer, they could potentially also be, and obviously we don't know how this is going to play out. Uh, is it possible in your mind that that a President Trump may very well have as many as three justices to nominate over the course of his four years? 
Well, it's certainly possible. I mean, you know, but it's it's very hard to predict. I mean, for I mean the the, the there's another justice, Justice Kennedy is is 80 actually. True, yeah. Between That's the two. Um and obviously uh, they're, you know, the the aging process takes its toll. But we've also, I mean, we just don't know how individuals age, whether it's Supreme Court justices or or any of the rest of us. We don't yeah. know kind of what that process is going to be like for any individual at any given time. Um, and so, I, you know, it it could it could be anywhere from, you know, zero to, you know, possibly as many as three over the next four years. I wouldn't focus on that okay. just because I think justices do try to control to the extent that that is consistent with their own um, uh, well-being uh, and and what they think is the well-being of the court, um, who you know which president will get to will get to reappoint them, um, and and so I would think, frankly, there would be hesitancy among all three of those justices uh, if they could avoid it to have um, President Trump uh, appoint their successors. But uh, it's just it, it really is beyond the the realm I think of prediction given the vagaries of, of uh, individual health statuses. Well, Kermit, in terms of, of once that ninth justice is is put in place, what are, are most likely the issues we will see really the court have to be, have to focus on? There's been obviously a lot of speculation, like many things, on some of the ideas that uh, that Mr. Trump is uh, is supportive of that may very well be brought up uh, to the court in, in the first few months. Well, yeah, that's an interesting question, and this is where I was saying I think it's sort of useful to distinguish between what the court can do for Trump as president and what the court can do for the more traditional conservative Republican political ideology, because a lot of the things that Trump was talking about during the campaign are sort of blatantly unconstitutional or obviously impossible. and I don't think we need to worry that Trump is going to somehow get a court that supports him and lets him do whatever he wants, because the, just, the people on his short list are conservative judges. Uh, you know, they've got traditional conservative ideology, generally speaking, but that doesn't mean that they want to let the president do whatever he wants. They're not necessarily in favor of this unlimited executive power. So, you know, with certain things like freedom of the press, Right. Even conservative judges tend to believe in that. It's very unlikely that you would get a Supreme Court that suddenly allows Trump to sue newspapers for critical reporting. What you're going to get is really something more like what we had before the death of Justice Scalia. We're going to sort of go back to there. And then if he right. gets another appointment, things could really shift. Dan? Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, the, 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 you know, the... The um, the consistency across conservative legal ideology is not going to change because of um, President Trump. It's um, it you know it's it, Trump in some ways. I mean, is is almost a third party candidate who ran as a Republican. I mean, he he represent uh, he represents a number of ideas that are uh, controversial to uh, sort of standard conservative ideology. Some yes, some no. But I don't see, I think the conservative legal ideology that these judges, uh, and I believe that they, all the names on this list are judges, um, are uh, represent and sort of what they grew up into, uh, will be much more important for them um, than the, the 
you know, the fact that Trump was, you know, Trump was elected president. Well, one, one article that uh, that I actually saw yesterday uh, mentioned also the fact, and and tell me if this, you know, has any importance to uh, to this process uh, at all. That a lot of the nominees that he is potentially bringing up are not exactly from. The, the D.C. area. They're not from the Northeast. They are. There is a rather widespread geographic uh, reach to to a majority of the nominees that he has on this list right now. There is. I mean, there it's 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 broader. Uh, one can say than um, uh, perhaps the the last several nominees uh, from both Presidents Obama and Bush who have tended to come uh, to to. To have come from the Northeast and also to have been educated in the Northeast, yeah. um, some of the folks have the same uh, kind of uh, educational credentials. Uh, for some, the educational credentials are a little bit different. Uh, they do tend to be, uh, among other things, there are state Supreme Court ju- judges and justices who are on the list. Um, the remainder, I believe, are all uh, federal court judges. A number of them, though, as I mentioned, have you know were served as clerks for the uh, most conservative of the justices that we have now. So there may be some, there may be some, and it wouldn't surprise me if if someone from the Midwest, for example, um, perhaps who graduated from a law school that isn't in the Northeast, right. uh, were nominated to the court. And 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 in that sense, you know, I mean, that could be. Um, um, a reasonably healthy change, but the the I don't think the the ideology. I mean, as Kermit said a few minutes ago, what what's going to happen uh, with Trump's nominee? I think is that we'll go back uh, to where we were with Scalia, which is you'll have a very consistent, um, pretty um, uh, you know, far to the right uh, conservative majority uh, on the Supreme Court, regardless of regardless of where they come from, frankly. And, and uh, Kermit, one of the other things that was brought up is is also the fact that with with some of the cases that were ruled on by the Supreme Court in, in the last few months after Justice Scalia's passing, uh, some of the decisions that obviously were made, uh, obviously because of the math, ended up being 5-3 decisions, and a ninth judge wouldn't have necessarily changed the sway uh, on the decision of a, of a said vote. Well, that's true. The five-three decisions wouldn't wouldn't have come out differently. Um, you know, it's it's the four-four ones yeah. like Obama's immigration reform, um, and there was a case about the First Amendment rights of unions and and non-member contributions. Um, those will probably come out differently. The conservatives didn't get the victories that they might have been expecting in those cases. Um, now they'll have a chance to do that if those cases can come back. The big winner, actually, you, you could say here is Justice Kennedy. Okay. Because yeah. once, once we get a conservative replacement for Scalia, it's again Kennedy's court. Yes. He's going to be, he's going to be the decisive median vote in most cases. Nan? Yes, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, the, the potential um, had um, Secretary Clinton been elected president, uh, or, well, whether the Senate had confirmed. Judge Garland, or had confirmed a, a Clinton uh, nominee different from Judge Garland, one imagines that that would have solidified a five-justice, more liberal um, coalition on the court without Justice Kennedy. 
and therefore the the need that has been felt in a number of cases i think to both from the advocates to to argue to justice kennedy and frankly i think from some of the more liberal justices to defer to kennedy's analysis in a case um, because he was essential to the outcome, right. um, that would that would you know the court could have could have moved beyond that, and frankly, I think that wouldn't have been such a terrible thing. But now uh, Justice Kennedy is back as the presumptive swing vote, and it seems like that's going to continue for quite a while. Uh, we're joined by Nan Hunter of Georgetown University, Kermit Roosevelt of the uh, University of Pennsylvania. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you cannot get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at bizradio, B-I-Z radio 111, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. The other interesting thing, Kermit, I guess, is once this decision is made, and whether or not uh, that decision would have been made in at a particular time anyway, uh, the court itself n- normally has a, a fairly regular amount of cases that it, it goes through over a course of a year, correct? Well, it, it varies, and it's been shrinking over the years. Okay. But yeah, it's generally pretty constant. So, And so, it, realistically, would, would a, whoever becomes that ninth justice, that wouldn't change in terms of the dynamic of, of the court, in terms of the amount of cases that the, that the court could potentially see, or could it potentially? Well, it's not going to change the court's institutional capacity. Right. Um, we did see, with the uncertainty surrounding the vacancy, it did look as though the court was holding off. It was granting fewer cases. It was avoiding some controversial ones. And now, you know, with the Republicans in control of the Senate, presumably that vacancy is going to be filled in short order. So I think we can expect the court to get back up to its normal pace of work. Nan? I, I think that's right. Um, I think that, um, and I think that the courts, the, the makeup of the court's docket is is also likely to continue its current trend, which is to focus increasingly on business-oriented cases and, frankly, to produce results that are very favorable to business. So how bu- how busy of, of a next couple of years do you think it could be for the Supreme Court, Nan? In terms of, in terms of number of cases and number of decisions, I really don't expect that to, to change very significantly. I think the... Um, and, and the immediate uh, change in terms of the um, political makeup of the court, again, it won't be uh, terribly significant because the new justice will be replacing an extremely conservative justice, Justice Scalia. So I think in the, in the immediate aftermath, in terms of the dynamics, in terms of the number of cases and the sort of general trajectory of the I don't expect there will be a huge difference. But... I do think that as new issues come to the court, as uh, cases that perhaps challenge some of the administrative actions of the Obama presidency, um, you will see a, a you know a kind of hardening of a conservative position of conservative positions coming out of the court. I was going to say the bell tolls at ten twenty-two, <laughs> but that's that's not necessarily a time where the bell would toll, right? 
<laughs> Sorry, that was background noise. No problem. Don't worry about it. I, I didn't know who that was. Was that Kermit? Was that with you? That was me, yeah. Okay, all right. Well, uh, your doorbell rang, I guess. Great, great doorbell. Uh, we're joined by Kermit Roosevelt of uh, the University of Pennsylvania Law School and Nan Hunter of uh, Georgetown University. I can say that's the first time to both of you we've ever had that happen on the air. So thank, thank you very much for that. Uh, well. So it, 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 what do you ex- expect to see then, Kermit, as end end up being the the types of cases, as Nan said, more business oriented. Do you do you expect that to be the case? Or some people have said, will we see some uh, you know potential cases come to the court that will deal with LGBTQ issues and, and with immigration issues? Do you expect that? Well. I agree with what Nan said about, you know, probably we're going to go back to the status quo ante. If you look for a trend on the Roberts Court, pro-business is probably the strongest trend. So I think we are going to see that again. Um, The way the court is now, assuming that the Scalia seat is filled, it's probably not worth it for social conservatives to test the court's jurisprudence on either gay rights or abortion. Um, But I do think that if there's one more uh, replacement, and it could be one of the liberals or it could be Kennedy, um, then, then you might see an attempt to roll back decisions like Obergefell. And that, I think, would be unsuccessful. I think that in terms of same-sex marriage and gay rights, the country has moved yeah. sufficiently that that's not going to be unraveled. But you know, abortion rights, that's still a very contentious issue. That's something where we don't seem to have a settlement in public opinion. And... With another appointment to the Supreme Court, I think we could see a rolling back of abortion rights. Nan, is that the is that the big one in your mind as well? I think that's the one that's uh, most at risk. Uh, with regard to the LGBT issues, I don't think that I agree with Kermit. I don't think the same-sex marriage issue is going to be re-litigated. Uh, I'd be surprised if there was even much effort to do that. But I do think that the case, the that the question of religious liberty as a sort of uh, growing basis or sort of expanding basis for exemptions from a series of laws um, that would include the LGBT laws, but again, most um, prominently, I think, and and quickest would be issues related to reproductive rights, especially the contraception. Great Um, Great to have you both joining us on the show today. Thank you, Nan. Thank you, Kermit. Thank you very much. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you. All the best to you. Uh, Georgetown University's Nan Hunter, uh, Kermit Roosevelt, here of the uh, University of Pennsylvania Law School. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.